Galatians 2, and we are going to read one verse, and that's verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. May he add a rich measure of blessing to it. Your truth is your truth. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. You be you. Follow your heart. This is the idolatry of the world that we live in. This is the self-made religion of the unbeliever, made in his heart. The unbeliever outside of those doors has taken gold, has melted it down, has formed it, molded it, put it on a pedestal, built himself an altar, has gotten sacrifices of his own money, gotten sacrifices of his own leisure time, gotten sacrifices even of his own children, and have offered those sacrifices on the altar of his made-up religion. And when he looks up at the golden image that he has made, he sees himself. He sees a golden image of his own face. That is the idolatry of the world that we live in. And it is the fog and it's the pollution that we find ourselves in. When we're out in that world, that's the fog that we find ourselves in. We can't escape it. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of uh, helping a brother in the Lord remove a carpet from his apartment. Now, the carpet wasn't that bad, but we were thinking that the carpet was adding to an issue, a suffering that he was enduring. And so we got there, and we got in there, and we were slicing up the carpet. We were pulling the carpet out. And what we found, we were surprised about, but also dismayed about. We were disgusted by it. Underneath the carpet was a thick layer of dust. And now, it's not just dust, right? It's years of dead skin. It's years of dirt. It's years of smoke. The guy smokes in his apartment, and so it's just carcinogens just flowing up in the air. And not only that, along one of the walls was a thick layer of dirt that's been there for so long that it was green, molded. But he didn't realize that any of it was there. He's just been breathing in this filth for years. Who knows what that has done to his body? You and I can be in the same predicament, that we can go out into the world and not be aware of the air that we're breathing in. Not be aware of the filth that is entering our bodies. Not be aware of the filth that is entering our souls. And how it is clouding our judgment. How it is warping, muddying our perspective, our Christian perspective of the world. And if we don't pull that carpet back, it's going to poison us. Without us even realizing it. We can't escape it. We need to be aware of the grime within our own souls if we're going to clean it, if we're going to scrub that heart clean. And so the message for this morning is the filth 
of individualism, the worship of self, the filth of individualism cleansed by Christ in the church. All right, the filth of individualism cleansed by Christ in the church. And we're going to be looking at two things. One, the filth of individualism, the stuff that we're breathing in without even realizing it. And then two, the cleansing by Christ in the church. All right, so the filth of individualism and then the cleansing of Christ in the church. And so first, the filth of individualism. Without realizing it, we can be breathing in this pollution and it muddies our perspective on three things. It muddies our perspective on God, on who God is, on who we are, and what the church is. All right, so point one, sub-point A, our perspective of God is muddied. God is the creator of the universe. He's the king. He's the ruler. He is the almighty God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He has made all. And because he has made all, he commands all to worship him. Amen? Right? All would worship God. Not just all would worship God, but all would worship God in all that they have, in all that they do. You can't get more all-inclusive than that. Individualism turns that around and says, no, it's not that God needs to be worshipped. It's not that God needs to be served. It's that I need to be served. Look at Adam and Eve. In the garden. They are created in goodness. They have that right perspective in mind. But what happened to them? Well, a serpent came and spewed out a poisonous air that Adam and Eve breathed in. They breathed in the accusations that Satan gave, and they took hold of those, and they believed those. And instead of worshiping God with all that they had, they instead thought, you know what, God? You haven't treated us well enough. You, yeah, sure, you've given us all these trees, but why won't you give, me us, why won't you give us that one tree? We resent you for not giving us that one tree. You are there to serve us, God. We're not there to obey you. And so they took, and they ate, and they plunged themselves, and they plunged the world into darkness. They wanted to be God. Our entire existence, people of God, is to worship God. Everything that we do, from being in church, to being in the workforce, to being at school, to being at home, playing with toys, is to worship God. Now I ask you, who, you who have breathed in unwittingly the air of our world, do you worship God with every ounce of your being all the time? Do I worship God with every ounce of my being all the time? We have to say no. In the workplace, in our home, in our free time, we tend to worship ourselves. We tend to serve ourselves because we, like Adam and Eve, and like the world outside, sometimes flip the way that it's supposed to be that we're on top, that we have enthroned ourselves and God is there to serve us. Our time is our own, but no, our time is God's. And so the field of individualism muddies our perspective of God, but it also muddies our perspective of ourselves. To put it simply, if individualism diminishes God, 
right? That's the money perspective. It, he, it brings God low. Then it money's our perspective of ourselves and exalting us and bringing us too high and putting us in the place of God. And this is the foolishness of that one mantra that I said at the beginning, find yourself. I need to find myself. And then I can go to church. I need to find myself, and then I'll get married. I need to find myself and fill in the blank. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christian, you have no self. You have died. You don't have any self to look for. And that is glorious, because what self you had isn't worth considering. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were not righteous, not even one of us. But it is now, but the life I live is Christ, Christ who lives in me. If you want to find yourself, you don't look to yourself. You look to another. You look to Jesus. Jesus is yourself. No longer you, no longer inside, but outside of you. Jesus, who now lives through you and in you. We need to be aware of this, aware that we don't functionally live like this. We need to be aware, again, the, the grime that has been built up in our hearts. A certain man who goes to church regularly loves faithful, godly preaching that happens in this church. And this man He says an amen to all the convictions that are given, the challenges of Scripture that are given to other people. Amen. That guy needs to hear that. He says an amen to all the the challenges that are given to the world. Amen. The world needs to know that. He enjoys the fellowship. Oh, look at all this food I get to partake in. Look at all these little kids running around. It's amazing. But this man... As soon as a finger is pointed at him, as soon as the Bible is convicting in his life, he's like, how dare you? My life is all put together. How dare you, pastor? How dare you, God, challenge my life? Say that I'm not doing something good enough. Saying that I need to be more sanctified. You notice what happened with that man? His view of himself is exalted. He's been poisoned by the world to think that he is all that he needs to be. He is as good as he will ever be, and no one can talk about that. No one can challenge that. No one can prod in his life. No one can meddle in his life. He has it all figured out. That's how our perspective of ourselves is muddied. We need to be humble. We're under the word. We're not above the word. We're under God. We're not above God. But it also muddies our perspective of the church. You see, you and I, we were made and we were saved for another. But we're also made and saved for one another. All right, so we were made and saved for another, but also one another. Or to put it in a more familiar language, We are called to love God and love neighbor. Turn with me to 1 Peter 4, please. 
First Peter 4, verses 8 to 10. Peter here is talking about the, the inner relationship of the people of God. How is it that Christians are supposed to treat each other, act towards one another, in the context of church? Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What's the prerequisites to these kind of commands? What do you need to have under your belt if you're going to obey these commands? One, you need to believe in Jesus if you're going to take his word and follow his word. Two, you need to be in church because these are commands given to the church. If you're not in the church, you can't obey these commands. But also, you need a biblical perspective of your place in the church. What characterizes a Christian? What characterizes a church member? And there are 47 of these one another commands. I chose 1 Peter 4 because it has three in three verses. As an illustration to say that there are many of these commands in the Bible to love, serve, be hospitable, forgive one another, a mutuality in the people of God. And so I ask you, if you aren't living this way, if this description doesn't describe you, are you a member of the church? Peter is describing what a church member looks like. This is what they do. And so if you're not doing this, then you can't be described as a church member. As a functional church member. You can have your membership on paper, but functionally, you're not being a member of this church. And to put it in a more stark language, the Bible uses an analogy to talk about the church, to talk about the people who are within the church. And that analogy is the body of Christ. That each one of us, as individuals, are individual members of one body, the body of Christ. I might be a finger, you might be a leg, we all might be different things, but we're one member of a whole body. If you aren't functionally living as a member of the church, if you aren't functionally attached to the body, what's going to happen to you? What happens to a finger when it's severed? from the rest of the body. It rots. It decays. And it dies. This is serious stuff. This is why we're talking about it. This is why we're trying to make an awareness of how the dirt, how the filth of the world has perhaps entered your heart and has made you more self-centered than you ought to be has made you not other-focused, God-focused, as you ought to be. And so you can come to church, and you can receive all the amazing things. You can receive faithful preaching. You can even receive the Lord's Supper, as we will in, in a couple hours. But are you giving back? We can think of the obvious example. Are you giving financially? Are you investing in the lives of others? Are you fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters? Are you here just to consume? Or are you here to also give back? 
And so a hard word is being, is being said. I'm trying to push, I'm trying to prod a little bit. Trying to remove the carpet a bit so that perhaps if you look inside your own heart, you may be able to see some of this dirt that is built up. And so then the question has to be, how does that dirt get cleaned? Who's going to get in there and scrub all the dirt away? Galatians 2.20. For Jesus has loved me, and Jesus has gave himself for me. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus is going to clean your heart, cleanse your heart, purify your heart and your soul from the things that you've been breathing in. Jesus loved you. He gave himself for you. Jesus was the least individualistic person there was. In fact, he was perfectly not individualistic. He came not to do his own will, but he came to do his Father's will. And he was pleased to do so. Jesus, for your sake, came not to be served, but to serve. And he served you. He died for you. Your filth, my filth, all the dirt that we have accumulated in our lifetime was poured, dumped on Christ's head while he hung there on the cross so that you and I would be cleansed, so that you and I would be cleaned. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives in you to clean you from the inside out, to make you aware of the dirt that's inside of you. But notice this too. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. We need to have faith. Jesus doesn't enter in unless we believe in him. Believe in the Son of God. If you do not believe in the Son of God this day, if you have not given your life to Jesus as not only your Savior, but also your King, you are going to remain filthy. And your filth is going to lead you to hell. But if you believe in the Son of God, if you believe in Jesus who loved you, gave himself for you, and he will wash you clean. His blood will make you clean as whiter than wool and as whiter than snow. This has a picture, and as we close, the way that Christ has graced you, has blessed you, We see this in the church. He cleanses you in the church. And we're going to look at just one of the many benefits that the church offers you as believer. That the church is called the family of God. Now I would assume, maybe I shouldn't, but I am assuming, that some of us here have family who aren't believers. And even you becoming a Christian has made your relationship with your family rather tense. And even maybe has broken some of that relationship. Now the grace of Jesus is not that you would then be left alone in your Christianity. That you are now alone and your family has abandoned you. No, no, no. God has adopted you into a new family. A better family. A different family. Look around. 
Every single one in this room is your brother, is your sister. And all the meaning of those words, all the meaning and more, because we're not only brothers and sisters adopted legally, but we are spiritually bound together for we are all part of the same body. We're all part of Jesus Christ who died for us and who loved us. This is the family that you have been given by God. This is the family that you have been given to love and to be loved by. This is the family that you have been given to care for, but also to be cared for by. To serve and be served, to fellowship and be fellowshiped with. All the benefits of the church happen because you are a family. God has brought people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different personalities, even personalities that might rub us the wrong way at times, but yet we are family. Jesus is our older brother. God is our father. And every meaning of the word and even more. This is the family that you are battling your sins with. This is the family that you are battling the world with in the grace and the strength that the Holy Spirit gives you, but this is also the family that you are waiting for Christ with. This is a family that you are going to spend eternity with. Think about that. God has brought you together already now to give you a foretaste of what life is going to be like in eternity. Do you ever say that to your brother? Do you ever say that to your sister? Say, hey, it's time to go, and if I don't see you, I'll see you in heaven. I see you as we're worshiping God in the new heavens and the new earth. God has brought us together so we may clean each other, that we may exhort one another to be cleaned by Jesus so we are not poisoned by this world, but also together that we would look forward to the day when our brother comes back and he brings us home to the place where we would be surrounded by all the brothers and sisters that we have across the world. And there would be no more stain. There would be no more filth. There would be no more dirt. There would be no more sin. There would be no more pain. There would be no more sin. There would be none of that. Just a big family reunion. Worshiping God. Worshiping God for eternity. Don't be poisoned by this world. Be cleansed by Christ. Be cleansed by the family that he's given you. Let's pray. Our Father, we are your children and we are talking to you. We are speaking with you as sons and daughters. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ for our older brother, Lord, who came and who loved us and who gave himself for us. God, help us to believe. Help us to believe more and more in the cleansing that Jesus offers us on the cross. God, help us to be aware by the wisdom of your Holy Spirit of the ways that we have bought into the poison of our world. Lord, help us run to Jesus, cling to Jesus, tether ourselves to Jesus so we may find cleansing and purification, Lord, and be with us in this week as we do these things. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.